Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 3, um, from verse 1 to 26. It's Acts 3, 1 to 26, and it can be found on page 1094 of the Pew Bibles. That's 1094 in the Pew Bibles. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if... By our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that, the, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord our God will raise you up for, raise you up for a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on as many as have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Amen. On Wednesday night at our uh, prayer meeting, 
Uh, we had a couple share at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night about their work among Syrian refugees in Jordan, and I thought it was appropriate to continue praying for them and for the work among the Syrian refugees uh, this morning. So let's join together in prayer. Father God, we have been learning from your word in Acts that your desire has always been that the gospel will go out to the ends of the earth. And we thank you for this couple on Wednesday night who shared at our prayer gathering, who have given their lives to sharing your son with Syrians in various countries. We pray that they, as they and their family return to Jordan next week, that you will continue to use them. May they show and express the love of Jesus with these Syrians in Jordan so that they may find the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the openness that they spoke about of the Syrians as they leave their homes and nation to pour into refugee camps and cities on the fringes. Lord, save many more of them that they in turn will share with the fam their families and friends the grace and love of God. We pray for those refugees that have been traumatized by the war, particularly children, for those who've lost members of their family through killings. We pray for host countries and their people that they will treat the Syrians graciously, peacefully, and that in turn these refugees will find their home in these host nations. Father, we continue to pray for the land of Syria. We pray that one day many will return to rebuild their nation but may they return knowing you as their God. We thank you, Father God, for the various individuals and teams that have been involved in summer mission over these last number of weeks, even from our own church family. And Father, even this week, we continue to pray, bless these children and young folk at various camps. Lord, open blind eyes and open heart, hard hearts that they may marvel again at your lavish love and glorious grace. Father, we pray especially for those within our own church family here who are struggling with illness, who face surgery even this week, who are taking each day as it comes because of treatment. And we pray for those amongst us who are worried and fearful, who are mourning and grieving. And Father, in this moment of silence, we bring our loved ones, our concerns, our fears, our joys and our rejoicing to you now. Lord God, help us to pray. And thank you for the words that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Can I encourage you to take a, a pew Bible and turn with us to page uh, 1094, where you'll find Acts chapter 3. So let me just give you a moment uh, to open the scriptures for yourself. And as you're doing that, let me pray for us. 
Father, we thank you for the immense privilege it is to have the scriptures for ourselves in our own language, to understand more of yourself and the Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, for these last number of weeks in Acts, in which you have shown us the continued ministry of the Lord Jesus through the apostles. And Father, as we come this morning to Acts 3, with this miraculous healing, we pray that you will show us more of the glorified servant that is the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, for we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. On the 19th of February uh, 2016, Fanula Meredith, who's a writer with the Irish Times, wrote an article with the following caption. It said this, are miracles happening on the streets of Coleraine, of all places. It was an article in which she interviews a Christian group and their leader, a guy called Mark Marks, who has been praying for people on the streets of Coleraine since 2005. And the group claims to have witnessed miracles, healings, and cures of various ailments, diseases, and conditions. But it wasn't the article that was the most fascinating thing about this. It was more the comments in the end of the article when people could write what they wanted, where people were asking questions about where does the medical profession come into this? What about false hope? What about scientific proof? Con men? How could the Irish Times what an art, write such questionable articles in this day and age? But I guess for all of us, when we hear about miracles and healings, it does make us question, doesn't it? Can they be true? What's the purpose of them? What's the motivation behind the claims? And what and who does it serve? And for the Christian faith, we cannot get away from the fact that in the life account of Jesus Christ, we know that he performed various signs, healings, and wonders. And when the Holy Spirit comes to the apostles, as we've been learning in Acts, they continue the ministry of Jesus. So much so that Acts chapter 2 verse 43 says this, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And this morning we're going to spend some time looking at one of those wonders and miraculous signs done by the apostles, but we're going to see that it was done for a purpose and for a particular focus, which we'll see in verses 11 to 26. But let's look firstly at the healing, the miraculous itself in verses 1 to 10. With no social welfare, no occupational therapy, no facilities to be put in, no disability income to access at this time in history, this crippled man of verse 2 would have been more than likely under the sole care and dependency of his own family, utterly dependent on them. And his everyday routine seems to be, do you see it, that he was carried to the temple courts to a specific gate called Beautiful, where he could beg every day for some money or food as people passed in and out. The man has never walked or stood. He was crippled from birth, the passage tells us. Do you see it? And yet Acts chapter 4 verse 22 tells us that this man was over 40 years old. Over 40 years of living with this disability through childhood, adolescency, manhood, begging, dependent on the kindness of others. And on this particular day, why should it be any different? He's carried put in front of the gate. Maybe he had a box. Maybe he put out his hands. Same day, same routine. And yet, Peter and John, 
he asks them for money as they pass by. And you can be sure of this, because we've all done it with homeless folk in Belfast. They probably didn't even make eye contact together. He asked without even looking. They probably didn't even look at him. And that is why you have the detail in it of Peter as they pass by. He says, give me your attention. And he gives them the full attention, probably in the hope of getting something from them. And in verse 6, do you see it? Peter gives them the bad news. It's like handing a sandwich to somebody who's looking for money. And he says to them, silver, or that's how the song goes, isn't it? Silver or gold, have I not? This man's perceived need is not going to be met. No money today from these two lads. But look at what Peter continues to say in verse 6. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And Peter, taking the crippled man by the hand, helps him up. Luke, the doctor, do you see that in verse 7 says that instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, as a doctor would want to know. And in verses 8 and 9, it tells us that three times he walked. This cripple from birth was healed. He jumped to his feet, walked into the temple courts, praising God. What a miracle. What an extraordinary thing to happen to a lad who thought he was going to be begging and crippled for the rest of his life. But notice that all people know. And I guess every town and city has one, doesn't it? Those characters that everybody knows. In Bangor, and I, I thought I spotted him in East Belfast, we have a particular character, and I'd love to get to know him. He's got a white beard, wears a high-vis jacket, wellies, raincoat, cycles a bike, and you couldn't miss him. He's a character of the town in Bangor, and I thought I saw him, and he spelled fat. I was going, maybe he's a twin, um, but it could be him. He could have got on the bus, and I'm sure in East Belfast and Belfast, you have those characters, and this man seems to be one of those characters that everybody recognized. Why wouldn't they? If he was placed every day at the temple courts to beg, he would have been one of them. He's recognized by all. Do you see it in verses 1 to 10? As the cripple who begged at the beautiful gate, but he's literally standing before them healed now. And the people are filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The crippled beggar is healed through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Think about this. What is the significance of this healing? Could it be that this man's life was transformed. Of course it was, and it is something to be delighted and, and honored. He didn't expect that day to be healed. He expected to be carried home like he normally was. He didn't ask for anything. He didn't even ask for this. All he wanted was money. Is that the significance of it? A life transformed? Of course it's part of it. For the people who saw him and walked, they were filled with wonder and amazement because they knew the man's condition and circumstances. Is that the significance of it? For the apostles, they'd done something public now. Everyone knew it. And later in chapter 4, we'll see the opposition that they get because of their actions. But the danger is, just as it is today with many healing and prayer ministries, is that you leave the focus, the perspective, predominantly on the phenomena of the healing, or the reaction of the crowd, or the person that is healed, or whoever performed it, and you lose the point of the healing. You lose the focus and the real significance of who it is pointing forward to. And to avoid this, Luke, the author of Acts, will not allow us to do this. So he keeps our focus on the main thing in this example and in the previous chapter. Did you notice this? When the Holy Spirit came to the apostles in Acts chapter 2, four verses, 
are mentioned about the baptism of fire of the Holy Spirit. The rest, 36, 37, 38 verses, are given over to explaining the significance of it by pointing to Jesus. Here in this example, Luke does exactly the same. He uses 10 short verses to explain the phenomena, the sign. And now for the rest of the chapter, verses 11 to 26, he will explain the significance, the meaning behind it as it points to Jesus Christ. And Luke does this deliberately because verses 11 to 12, do you see it there? It shows us that the focus can often be on other things. In verse 11, the beggar held on to Peter and John. The crowd come running into the temple as they would. And Peter in verse 12 says to the gathered crowd, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You see, the potential for the apostles or the miracle in and of itself to be the main thing is quite highly likely. And Peter wants them to be clear. He wants the focus not to be on this thing, as Luke does. He moves us to what it is pointing towards, to attribute to. And in verses 13 to 16, Luke centers on Jesus Christ. And if you get nothing from this sermon and chapter today, it's all about him. It's all focused, centering on Jesus. And Peter centers the healing and its significance on Christ. In verse 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. These words of Peter would have been reminders to those who came from a Jewish background. I know that phrase. The God of Abraham? the God of Isaac and Jacob. Yeah, that's our heritage. And you see what Luke does? He links Jesus with it. This is not something new. In fact, it is God's glorified servant. Why are you surprised? The people are filled with wonder and amazement at what has happened here. But that wasn't their reaction, was it, when Jesus lived amongst them? When Jesus physically lived amongst them, their reaction was the opposite. They dejected them, rejected him, And instead, that's why Peter lays out in verses 13 to 15 the reaction in four you's. The use of you four times in these verses is for emphasis to drive home what they've done with Jesus. Here they're in wonder and amazement, but that's not the way you responded to him when he was with us. You handed him over, verse 13, to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate. You disowned the holy and righteous one in exchange for Barabbas, the murderer. You killed, in verse 15, the author of life. Can you imagine the atmosphere changing as Peter tells them what they've done with Jesus? Peter could have made millions out of this. He could have said, look what we've done. Pay us. We'll wear the white suits. We'll get the big lights in. We'll make a big deal of this. Instead, he turns the focus. This is about Jesus, but this is what you've done to Jesus. But despite their actions and abandonment and killing of Jesus Christ, God raised him to life. The one who was handed over, abandoned, disowned, and killed, was raised to life, and that is who heals this man. And verse 16, Peter tells them flatly and squarely that it's down to Jesus. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and was was made strong, it is Jesus' name, and the faith that comes from him that has given the complete healing to him, as you all can see. The miraculous sign and healing points to Jesus. He was a man incapable of changing himself here, this cripple. 
His condition was from birth. That day, his only concern was for money and food, and yet God, in his mercy and undeserved grace, initiated the moment when Peter and John met him, and he was healed in Jesus' name. Amen to that. It shows us the glorified and exalted Son of God is continuing his ministry through the apostles. David Peterson in his commentary says this, it is a, Jesus' name is a dynamic personal symbol of Jesus' continued presence and power on earth. The healing of this cripple is a pointer to the saving power of Jesus in the widest sense. God was about to give him, the cripple, far more than he hoped for. And folks, we're here today. That is what God does with us. When he comes to dealing with us, he takes the initiative. He gives us far more than we hoped for. And it is because his glorified servant has been raised to life. Jesus' death and resurrection hurls in a new era, a time when God's Holy Spirit is given to all and his salvation is earned through God's Messiah, Jesus Christ. But Peter goes on and he says, more or less, do you want to know how to be part of this salvation, this new era? And in order for them to grasp this, we're going to look at verses 17 to 21 which John Stott calls the necessity of, and blessing of repentance. Peter puts to the people in verses 17 to 21, follow with me, that they acted in ignorance, but it doesn't excuse them. And their major ignorance or stumbling block to receiving and accepting Christ was that he suffered and died. They could not get their heads around the fact that the Messiah was to suffer and die despite what Peter, point, what Peter points out in verse 18, that the prophets of old had taught them that the Christ must suffer. We read Isaiah 53 this morning. He was despised and rejected. He was pierced for our transgression, crushed, punished, all pointing to what the Messiah would do and would suffer and die. The Messiah, the anointed one, would suffer. The prophets knew that. The people had the prophets. And in verse 19, Peter calls them to repent and turn to God, to repent of what they've done to Jesus, to repent of how they have responded to God's servant, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. And the good news of the gospel today still is that there's a call to repentance of sin and rebellion against God. Repentance means that 180 turn. My life without God is heading this direction. And repentance is turning back, turning to him from our sins and rebellion. And that is the good news of the gospel. And there are numerous blessings connected with true repentance. In verses 19 to 21, Peter mentions three of them. The blessings of repentance are these. Do you see it in verse 19? That your sins are wiped away. What a wonderful blessing. <laughs> When we repent before God, he wipes our sins away. If you're a teacher or you've used whiteboards in the past, uh, if you're like me, permanent markers always seem to be very evident when you're using whiteboards, aren't they? You know that if you have a permanent marker and you write it on a whiteboard, it is destroyed. It is unbelievably hard to get it off it. And it's a bit like this with this verse that our, our lives are stained and marked by sin, representative of who we are, those blots on the whiteboard. 
and we can't get rid of them. We try to by scrubbing them out, but they're always there. And yet the beauty of repentance, of turning to God and confessing our sin, is that He wipes our sins away, just like that whiteboard when it's brand new. And if that's not, if you don't think that is possible, hear God's own words from Isaiah when He says this, I, even I, am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. I don't know if you're here this morning, but most of us have sins that we remember that are deep in our consciousness that we struggle to forget ourselves or even forgive ourselves. And God, who we've sinned against, says, I can blot out your transgressions, your sins, and remember them no more. That's why in Psalm 51, David could ask God to do the following, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. Repentance brings about a cleansing and wiping away of sin. Which of us here this morning doesn't want that, doesn't desire for our sins which we are either burdened or guilty about, troubled souls, that God can wipe them away. May it lead to you. If you have that sense where your sins are a burden, where you feel guilty for them, where you need to handle them, but you can't and you're not able to change, may it lead you not to try to clean up your own life. May it not lead you to try and make it up to God, but rather repent, confess it, and trust in Jesus to have it wiped away. How does the hymn go by Robert Lowry? Who can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Who can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Is that for you here this morning, for all of us, that our God wipes away sins because of his glorified servant, the Lord Jesus? And see what happens in number two is that times of refreshment may come from the Lord. Many of you have enjoyed times of refreshment over the summer, I hope, whether it's been to Florida or um, Sicily, was it one of them, or even Castle Rock. It brings a refreshment, doesn't it? Being out in the sun, the fresh air, but you know something, a life of conflict and rebellion against God is a burden. It wearies our life, it endangers our souls now and for eternity, but when repentance comes, this verse says there is times of refreshment to be enjoyed from the Lord. That is why Jesus said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thirdly, the blessing of repentance is this, in verses 20 and 21, which is beautiful, he may send Christ to restore everything. I don't know if you get emails or have seen the sales, which are always tempting, aren't they, where... A shirt company or a toy company will have these on their sale items. It says this, limited time only. And you're left in the dilemma. Do I pay limited time only? I better get in fast. It plays with you a little bit, doesn't it? But what it tells you is that this is not going to be forever. This offer, this sale. And the reality is, and from verse 20 and 21, is that the call to repentance is only for a limited time only, until Christ returns. And when he returns, he will restore all things. 
The healing that we have here in Acts 3 is a partial sign of the things to come. It is a glimpse of what Christ will do when all things are put under his feet. He will make all things new. Do you remember those famous words from Revelation that are read at funerals? We should be reading them daily. When the dwelling of God is with men, he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things will have passed away. Bloomfield Church family, what a time that will be when no tear will fall anymore, when the effects of death and decay will have ceased. There won't be pain, but there'll be a new order because God will have come to restore it. The old will have gone. And when Christ brings about his new heaven and new earth, these are the blessings of repentance that to look forward to. And then lastly this morning, Peter, having pointed them to Jesus, who is God's glorified servant, having called them to the necessity and blessing of repentance, he now takes them in verses 22 to 26 through what I've called the famous hall of people in the Old Testament. He mentions Moses, Samuel, and Abraham. And why he does that is because they point to Jesus again. Moses, a prophet, who was told that God would raise up a prophet like him, and the people were to obey him and listen to him. He was promised. Samuel, heralded in the kingship in the Old Testament, promised that David's kingdom will be one that will last forever. Abraham, was promised that the nations would all be blessed through his family line. Jesus is the one who fulfills these words and promises. He is the Moses-like prophet. He is in the line of David, whose kingdom will never end. And he is the line of Abraham. And through Jesus, all the nations will be blessed. But there's a warning here in verse 23. The warning to these people that day, when Peter spoke to them, was this, anyone who doesn't listen to him, that is Jesus, will be completely cut off from among his people. How they and we today respond and listen and act towards Jesus will determine whether or not we are cut off or blessed through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, this healing points us to Jesus. The teaching from Acts 3 is Christ-centered. It is Christocentric, solely about him. It magnifies him as God's glorified servant. It moves to see the need to repentance, and it shows us that all of Scripture's promises, particularly of Old Testament, are fulfilled in Jesus by God's design. Don't get lost in the phenomena. Don't get lost in the carriers of it or the message of it. The healings are signs to the glorified servant of Jesus. And for some of us here this morning, we need to repent in order to enjoy what is now and in the future to be enjoyed when he comes, when he will restore all things. Let me continue in prayer as we continue our service. Father God, we're very conscious that our lives, both individually and corporately as a church, can so often get distracted from the main thing. 
And Father, we thank you this morning that you are reminding us of the redeeming and salvation work that God the Father has done through his glorified servant, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that this healing happened. Thank you that it is pointing us to a time when Jesus will restore all things, when there won't be a time when people will cry or die or decay. He is restoring it all. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But Father, our response to your glorified servant, the Lord Jesus, is important. And we pray that you would help us to see our need for him. Help us to repent. Help us to enjoy that wiping away of sin. Help us, Lord, to enjoy times of refreshment with you as we know you. And help us to look forward and live life here and now knowing that he is coming back and will one day restore. Lord, may that help folk today who are struggling with illness and sickness and worry. We pray particularly. But Lord, we pray that all this chapter will help us to magnify who Jesus is and what he has done because he is your glorified servant, the author of life, the holy and righteous one. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us to magnify him in our life by the way that we respond to him, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.